0: Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by TunnelBear, Bear, the simple privacy app that makes it easy to access a more open internet and browse privately. Go to freetunnelbear.com and start using it right now. Ashley Slim out. God damn it. Tinati. <laughs> Every time. Every time. Ashley from the National Post. You've been killing it lately. Thank you. At the Post, been enjoying your work so much. It's good to see you again. Good to see you. Today, we're gonna be talking about all of these people. Evan Solomon, George Strombolopoulos, Sookie and Lee. What will become of their careers? Where are they going? What's happening? We need to know. Always. And we will be talking about editorializing and opining at the CBC.
1: Well, I guess we both have a lot of opinions about that one.
0: (laughs) Welcome back to Canada Land Shortcuts. Today's episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Travis Shaw, Mark S., Anna Saint-Ange, Christopher Giro, Sean Sorensen, Derek Canners, Nick Taylor-Vasey, and Christopher McLeod. Christopher, why did you decide to be awesome? Because Canadians need independent media that's genuine in its attempt to inform us about important issues, including keeping mainstream media honest. While providing platforms for other journalists and people with less privilege to tell their stories with their own voices. This episode is also brought to you by Tunnel Bear. Ashley, have you heard of Tunnel Bear? I have not. Tunnel Bear is a very useful tool these days because there are more and more things on the internet that are different if you're surfing from Canada. And it doesn't all have to do with video. Price discrimination, they call it dynamic pricing. You know about this? And your computer. If you're on a Mac, you sometimes get higher prices
1: than on a PC.
0: Is that a fact? Yeah. So there's all these weird things where like not everybody is getting the same price for flights, for things that you're getting shipped to you, like all kinds of online shopping, you get different prices. So with TunnelBear, you can tunnel your bear, your internet connection as represented by an adorable bear into 20 different countries and see what... The internet looks like from those countries and surf that way so it's great for shopping it's great for buying a flight and it's just great if like you don't want what you do on the internet to be tracked if you just think that privacy is something that's important to you and you don't want to be tracked by third parties then tunnelbear is a great privacy tool you get 500 megabytes of free data every month and you don't have to give a credit card so go check it out now at freetunnelbear.com. this episode is also brought to you by freshbooks FreshBooks, of course, is the founding sponsor of this show, and they're really a a rather incredible company that is all about empowering freelancers and small businesses. It began as somebody's small business, and and now Mike's got like hundreds of employees there. It's this wonderful workspace. They're a proud Canadian company, and they're, they're wonderful for companies like mine or for freelancers who just can't afford an accounting department. It is your accounting department. I use it for a lot of things, expense tracking, all of our billing, and it saves me time every week. And you can try that one out for free as well for 30 days, no credit card required when you go to freshbooks.com. If and when you do decide to become a paying customer, and I think you might, tell them who sent you and you will be doing Canada Land a favor. Thank you, FreshBooks. along with 5 free travel packs. You'll get a free 1-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com/canadaland. That is drinkag1.com/canadaland. Check it out. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to Rapid Facts. I'm George Strombolopoulos. Hey, what's going on? And welcome to another episode of The New Music. My name is George Strombolopoulos. My name is George Strombolopoulos, and we are back with a brand new episode of The Strombolos with the spirit of radio right here. Stick around. Lots more to come on the program. we'll be right back.
1: We have an exciting new addition to the CNN family all the way from Canada, George
0: Strombolopoulos. There are reports this morning that CBC's George Strombolopoulos will be the next host of Hockey Night in Canada. So Strombolopoulos has had a lot of shows. And I don't think he's had a lot of shows because they've all been such wonderful hits.
1: Do you Remember when he was the VJ that was like the bad VJ <laughs> when we were little with all his like piercings and
0: tattoos and he was like the edgy one? I think that he has appeared to be a very edgy person to a lot of media executives. I think that the eyebrow pierce and the soul patch has played very well for many decades. I mean, I'm serious. Like the punk show, the new music, Much Loud, Much News, The Hour, The One, Strombolopolis Tonight, The Strombo Show, Strombolopolis, Hockey Night in Canada... It has become a national project to make sure that this guy has a television show. He seems like a really nice guy, doesn't he? We all we <laughs> too always... <laughs> nice
1: to be the edgy guy in Canadian media, right?
0: <laughs> I think he seems like a, a like a splendid, decent, nice guy. I I just think he's not so good at television. Yeah. But that's an opinion, right? That's just an opinion. Like there's objective data in television called ratings. They've tried to export him to the States twice when American Idol First. Was a big deal. They brought him to ABC to host The One, Making of a Music Star or something. It was the most expensive show ABC ever made. They only aired four episodes. You never got to know who the winner was. It was one of the biggest ratings bombs ever. Seven years later, CNN brings him in to do Strombolopolis on CNN. That also, I think, was the second worst performance in that time slot, and they aired seven episodes and then he was gone. Do we as a nation need to give him something to do again? What do you think?
1: Well, I guess what else are we going to get all our can caught? There's clearly no one else who's qualified to host a TV show in Canada, except for George Stravolopoulos. But it's ho- so hard to say something... Read about him because he does seem like he's this like genuinely nice person but I honestly can't tell you the last thing of his that I actually watched consistently I mean if I do watch a hockey game I'm never paying attention in between when the game's on I'm like going to the bathroom or getting another beer if I'm at a bar or something yeah and then like I might have seen a couple episodes of the hour but honestly the last time I can like actually remember watching him consistently was when like people still watched much music for music videos and, like,
0: little news bits. He was, I think he was, was good a at that. I mean, I was young. <laughs> Maybe there's a context to that. But I, I liked him there. Let's not just pick on him. I mean, like, let's talk about Evan Solomon. Let's talk about and Lee. Let's call it the Ben Murgy effect. It is this, like, compact where, like, a handful of people... It is decided by some sort of corporate decree that they are going to be famous. They are going to be media personalities in Canada. You could
1: throw Ben Mulrooney in there, maybe.
0: Ben Mulrooney. It's like Ben. You know, whether the public likes it or not, you are going to be famous. We're going to give you show after show. You know, Suki and Lee, like D'Anteo was on the air a little bit too long. It was so boring. I don't know even know what it was. I know that it wasn't the opera. Definitely not right. the opera. But I don't, I'm not sure what that show. Like it morphed into some kind of this American life wannabe where people were telling stories, but the stories didn't have a point. They They didn't
1: have that punch, right?
0: Or that, you know, if we're going to talk about stories, I guess, you know, it's important to have a beginning, a middle and an end. They didn't always have all three of those things. It It was on
1: Sunday afternoons, right? Yeah. I feel like I always caught it when I was like driving back from a cottage or something and you're stuck on the 400 and you're just trying to listen to something to pass the time. And even in that like closed in space, my car only has a radio. (laughs) Like it doesn't even have a tape player. All I have is that. And even there I'd be like, all right, so I'm going to go listen to people like yell on one of the talk radio stations because that's at least more entertaining.
0: Yeah. It was sort of infuriating, d because it was sort of like um, whimsical and like, here's something that happened to me when I got my braces taken out and it just would be this meandering thing and I could never tell us again like she would come and be like wow Jimmy thanks for sharing that story that was fascinating and she'd always sound vaguely sarcastic which is like that's how I felt about Jimmy's story but I couldn't tell if she was like taking the piss or not I feel so mean talking shit about these people because they all seem so nice and yet is it not okay to say that that was a lousy show?
1: Maybe it's like our Canadian sensibilities <laughs> that keeps these people. It's like they tried really hard. <laughs> they tried so, so hard. So let's give them another shot. They're really nice. Nobody actively dislikes them. They haven't done anything abhorrent except for maybe one of the situations here.
0: Right. Um, doesn't it feel good to, to to finally like not be a Canadian and let it all out? Like I know. So, so. So again, it's like the Canadian. Even in the firing, <laughs> like like come on, she was fired. Like the show was canceled. And it but, was
1: a bad show. It was. I'm but sorry. Then the, <laughs> even, even in the announcement,
0: and we do this all the time, as they cancel shows for not being good yeah. or listen to, they say, but this is just an evolution, and we're already working on another project. And so they've announced this new Sook project.
1: Suki Lee here. I promised I'd return, and I wasn't fooling. I am back. Since DNTO ended, I've come up with a brand new series. It's called Sleepover. I invite three strangers to share a hotel room with me for one night, Each stranger arrives with a specific problem they need help with. And then over the next 24 hours, we hash it out and get to know one another. We're not expecting to solve each other's problems, but we're hoping at least to give them some room for serious consideration. Face to face to face to face, and make friends with strangers.
0: Who wants to make friends with strangers? (laughs) But, But okay. Aim higher. Promise me you'll solve their problems. It's your conceit that you're getting people with problems together in a hotel room, and we're locked up together, and we're gonna, we're gonna hash it up, but we're not gonna solve the problems. This Let's... Sounds,
1: yeah, this sounds like it belongs in 1999. Like it's an episode of Frasier mixed with like the <laughs> real life. It and, sounds to me like somebody's art school project. Or a really bad slice of life movie that's like <laughs> someone's, you know, PhD in
0: film or something. And it's 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 one of these summer replacement series. It's 10 episodes. It's obviously this, this sort of consolation prize to sort of like give the idea that like, no, 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 we're just sort of evolving our relationship with Sookie. And meanwhile, like... I know what it's like to be there. Like the summer series are supposed to be training ground for new talent and new ideas where somebody can kind of like get a chance to host for the first time or try out a really strong concept or like all the many areas that are sort of being underreported or underserved by the CBC, get a chance. Like, okay, we'll give you 10 episodes, see if it works out. And this year it's Sukiens Consolation Prize. It's a bunch of the podcasts. It's been nice to see CBC getting back into podcasting, but now they're like cannibalizing their own content and running these podcasts as summer replacement series. So I don't even understand where the training ground is anymore.
1: There's got to be a lot of young, fresh talent out there who have more compelling ideas. And then I also wonder sort of if part of the CBC's mandate is to be uniquely Canadian. I'm curious what makes that show... Canadian or is telling stories that aren't being told I mean it just sounds yeah you know it sounds kind of passe and dull I don't know and like props to her I mean she has I'm not a professional broadcaster there's a lot of skills there that I don't have sure but you know we're we're really bad in this country at letting people fail
0: yeah like it's okay she'll find somewhere to go Strombo will ride his motorcycle and 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 Sook Yin will make a piece of performance art and paper mache or stuff. Everyone will find something to do. It'll be okay. They'll land on their feet. Evan Solomon. And I know a lot of people, it's the same thing. People feel like it wasn't fair. It wasn't fair that he got fired for that. And in relation to how Amanda Lang was treated, like like she should have been fired. And and Evan's like.
1: I think the conflict of interest with her was a bit more clear. I still think what he did, though, was so super sketchy and i feel like he's never fully addressed it. like i have a lot of respect for him as a like he, i think he put out a lot of smart ideas like sometimes he's he's good at kind of cutting through some of the crap. Yeah. In I- a in, in a sometimes a slightly overwritten way, but i think that like he's a good brain, a good political thinker in canada. i just really would have liked to see him be like, "you know what? maybe that wasn't a good idea to contact the bank of canada governor and try to broker an art deal. I think that there are some ethical lines there that I really would have liked to see him more explicitly address before this like okay we're all done with that now that's ancient history.
0: I think you put you, you, like that you said it exactly. It's not that this is like the kind of thing where like banish him and let us never hear from him again. Yeah. But I've asked him for interviews a few times in the wake of that. I said to him explicitly like I think you just need to clear the air here. Like, you need to take some responsibility that, like, to say, like, hey, Jim Bell, silly, meet me for a drink to talk about journalism, about a story. Oh, here's my friend, the art dealer. I'm going to go to the bathroom for a minute. You guys talk. And then he gets a kickback. Like, that's something you need to actually account for. I don't know that it's a scorched earth thing where, like, there's a scandal, you know, no second acts in Canadian life, but, like... If there's no second acts in American public life, just like come to Canada and don't even worry about it.
1: Well, I guess but like in, in America they have to do that mea culpa, right? People love yeah. the redemption story, and I feel like we didn't we didn't get that
0: here. <laughs> to get back to our initial point, there are more than eight possible hosts in the Canadian media. Like you know, they used to use like Much Music and Much Music like to give them credit. They did a great job at finding new talent. Like nobody seems to be interested in this question of like, where are you going to find somebody new who's never been on before and training them and getting them out there and building them an audience much used to do that. And then it became a feeder for CBC and other places. Now Canada land has become a feeder where people are poaching our people, people who come on to our shows tend to like show up on panels. I'm happy to be a feeder, but like there are people who are under 40 who might host a show in this country. And if you just go looking for them, you'll find them. Now is the time on this program where we take note of stories that caught our interest this past week. Ashley, I uh, have a confession to make. I read a Margaret Wente column. Oh, God. And Margaret Wente is somebody who, by the way, whatever else you might say about her, you cannot say that she does not have a readership. This was the number one story on the Globe and Mail, How Hookup Culture Hurts Young Women. <laughs> <laughs> and what I noted in reading the story is that since the most recent Margaret Wente plagiarism scandal, she is doing a better job of uh, citing her source, singular. Okay, so Margaret Wente is an expert on hookup culture uh, in universities, apparently, and uh, her expertise is based on the fact that she read an essay on quartz by (laughs) (laughs) a young woman named Leah Fessler. Rather than plagiarizing Leah Fessler, Margaret Wente now calls up. So she makes a point of saying, I called up, Leah Fessler. So that was good to know that she's actually calling the person who she stole the entirety of this argument from. I think I've read this column, five different variations of this over the past five years from Margaret Wente. Yeah,
1: I've definitely read something like that from her. Like, I can guess what the argument is without you.
0: Go for it. Guess what the argument is.
1: Hookup culture is bad for women because it makes them demean themselves for the patriarchy as opposed to women being able to be their own sexual beings.
0: And whose fault is it?
1: The women's.
0: Feminism, close. Feminism. Okay. Feminism's fault. Um, (laughs) So it's all based on this idea that, like, you know, and she writes authoritatively on many campuses today, hookup culture is the norm. You're a lot younger than I am. I kind of think that people still date. I'm sure people still have promiscuous sex, which I don't think is a new thing. But to read this Wente column, young women are expected to ask for sex, but the one thing they can't ask for is intimacy. Is that true, even? So I'm
1: like an old woman when it comes to relationships. I've been with my boyfriend for eight years. Like we met in like, I think I was in third year and he was in second year university. But so you actually
0: like, dated? You had an intimate relationship in university?
1: Sure. We dated before anything happened.
0: I, I, no, but I, <laughs> that's I, for you, mom. <laughs> it's all predicated on this idea that people don't date anymore. And I, I just don't know that that's At all true. My undergraduate is about 15 years behind me, but I seem to remember a lot of people having promiscuous sex and a lot of people being in relationships. And And
1: sometimes promiscuous sex leads to relationships. That can
0: happen too. But apparently (laughs) women these days, because of feminism, can't ask for intimacy.
1: Or they could just enjoy promiscuous sex and seek intimacy when they want it.
0: That is just feminism leading you down a dark, dark path, Ashley. Have you uh, noted anything this week?
1: Yeah. So what I I noted, I was in um, Orlando last week covering the uh, horrific shooting at Pulse Nightclub. Yes. And so it very quickly came out. And it's something I heard a lot on the ground, but it felt too much like rumors to sort of dive into the fact that the shooter, let's not name him, whatever, may have been a latent homosexual, may have sort of had those proclivities and didn't explore them fully, but for whatever reasons, probably largely because of... His family culture didn't seem to do it. And I want to say very specifically his family culture because I don't want to paint his whole religion and culture with one brush. Anyway, the thing that really bothered me is there was a lot of people who started coming out and saying this narrative is completely different. This is no longer a hate crime against the LGBTQ community because this guy was a member of it who didn't own it himself. And I think that's completely false. Internalized hate is still hate. Yeah. And I think that we too quickly moved into the terrorism debate, into the gun control debate. I don't think that outside of the LGBT community, there was enough of a mourning and a marking of the fact that this was a crime against the LGBT community. It happened in Orlando. Their press pressed did it very well. The vigil there that I covered and attended very much talked a lot about this being a crime against the LGBT community. A lot of faith leaders were coming forward and saying, look, our community has been bad to you guys in the past. This was a wake up. Call for us and we're gonna do better. And these are like deep South Christian evangelical kind of leaders, imams, there was a rabbi, like it was it was interfaith, it was really lovely that way. And of course they talked about gun control as well. But the one Orlando idea isn't standing with Orlando as a city that's grieving, it's standing with the Orlando gay community. That's what it meant on the ground. And I think that's been lost. And I think as we're having a Pride Month for the first time. In Toronto and as Pride celebrations across Canada are happening right now, I think for people in that community and allies of that community, Orlando did add a bit of meaning, a bit of resonance that I think has been lost in some of the greater coverage of it.
0: I want to note one more thing, and maybe this is actually, uh, I don't know, is this a disclosure? I'm not exactly sure what this is. I got an email the other week from Ed Greenspawn, former editor of the Globe and Mail, yeah. Uh, dear Jesse, I'm writing you to participate in the Public Policy Forum's Media Math Roundtable Discussion. Very curious. And and I, I, I what is this Public Policy Forum? It turns out it's this uh, think tank. According to Wikipedia, their mission is to serve as a neutral, independent forum for open dialogue on public policy. Okay. And Greenspan is now the president. So yeah, he, he's asking me to come to like, you know, some bank tower to meet with other people in the media to talk about essentially whether or not the government should intervene Because post media is probably going to go bankrupt this summer and uh, Nanaimo and Guelph lost historic papers and the media is in crisis and layoffs. So we might not have news coverage in this country anymore. So should the government do anything about it, Jesse, we want you to come and participate in that conversation. And I have lots to say about that topic. So I was really keen to go. And given that this public policy forum, their mandate, according to Wikipedia, is to have an open dialogue, I said, well, I'd love to come. Can I record it? I'd love to make a podcast out of that. And Greenspun said, "Uh, give me a call, Jess. And (laughs) I had a conversation with him. He said, well, ultimately the results of this process are going to be public, but I want this first round table to be uh, Chatham House Rule. I'm inviting you not as a reporter, but as a digital media entrepreneur guy, come and participate. You can talk about what happens there, but you know, Chatham House Rule, I looked it up, I don't know what that was. Participants are free to use the information received, but neither the identity nor the affiliation of the speakers nor that of any other participant may be revealed. So I can talk about what happens there, but I can't say who or where they're from, said it. And I thought, well, I guess better to go than not to go. And then I saw the guest list. And I can't, of course, reveal who's on that guest list, but I can tell you that it's going to be awkward. And then, and maybe this is why I'm bringing it up, I read a uh, I want to come so badly now. <laughs> <laughs> I read a news story about this thing that I'm participating in. And the headline of this, I think it was Canadian Press Story Liberals Seek Outside Advice as They Mull Policy Help for News Media. Oh. So I didn't know. So I read
1: that news story. I didn't realize it was this link to the Public Policy Forum. Okay.
0: It was news to me, too, that this was actually the Liberal government. And I'm like, well, what did they, are they... But the
1: public policy forum is a third party. It's a like third party. Like, I could party. see them using them to broker research, for sure.
0: Sure. And that's a little bit hazy to me because in this story, Ed Greenspan is quoted as saying, well, we're not, if you will, hired by the government, but we're doing this in cooperation with the government. Then the Heritage Ministry spokesperson said that they contracted the public policy forum, which would seem to indicate that they did hire the public policy forum. So... It's
1: almost the same as hiring, like, any research firm,
0: though. Sure. I think what people need to note here... And this is what Andrew Coyne said about this. Coyne tweets, oh, nothing, just the government adjusting the media to its taste. Mm. He's very suspicious of this, that essentially the liberal media is asking this public policy forum to put together all this research about what kind of subsidy or regulation or protectionism the news media needs. You know,
1: so I feel like I have a lot of full disclosure to say here first. Um, so Ed uh, was 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 a boss of mine when I was at Queens Park Briefing. He was an executive at Torstar. Okay, up the chain from me. Haven't haven't spoken to him in, in a long time, but I feel like I should say that Andrew Coyne works at the same paper as me. Um, my <laughs> company might be in financial trouble, but I really I really hope we're not going to go bankrupt. I think you probably are,
0: are, but you might still survive that.
1: I think our debt's going to be restructured.
0: Okay, we'll see what happens this summer.
1: So I think my colleague Chris Selly actually responded to COIN in a really smart way, being like, well, if all the media in Canada actually had this big, bad, scary conservative bias, I think we'd operate a lot differently on a lot of issues. And I think he has a bit of a point there, a bit of a tongue in cheek jab to the idea that post media is, you know, single handedly controlled by... The Conservative Party of Canada is like a little bit ridiculous, and there's a lot of diverse newsrooms there that have different opinions. And if the publisher wants to say something on the the editorial pages during an election, that's something that's happened for time immemorial since newspapers have existed. But it doesn't like on our day to day. I don't sit at my desk and think like, "Gee, what is Mister Godfrey going to think of this story?" Like it doesn't play in.
0: No, nor does Godfrey necessarily take a phone call back when Harper was in power. However, we have kind of rigged the field in so many ways over the years, giving like tax breaks to advertisers that they advertise in Canadian publications, c- creating protectionist regimes where American publications couldn't move in. You know what? This was supposed to be a duly noted. I have so much to say about what role the government should have in Canadian news media. But maybe media. that's why
1: you should go to this forum. That's us. why I'm, you
0: know, I know I, because I, I won't tell you who's coming, but I can say that the representation of online independent news media, I'm not going to say that I'm the only one there, but it ain't great. And I think that it's going to have a lot to do with the future. And just to have all of these legacy players there with their hats out, like, what are they going to say? What should the government's role be? I think everybody, there's a, the government's role is going to be that they should give us more money. And that's not going to be my point of view there. And maybe I can go and represent that view.
1: I think there's something to be said about government support for all of it, because I do think that a lot of legacy media, not just post media, I mean, all the companies, Canadian press, like these all need to continue to exist because a lot of on-the-ground reporting is still coming from them like there's stuff that canadian press is still the only people at on a regular basis like if we lost them because they're jointly owned by all the big media players the amount of on the ground coverage we would lose in this country is astounding and so cbc's finally restaffing some of its local bureaus but there are city halls across this country that don't have a single reporter there's not a full-time reporter at the saskatchewan legislature anymore an entire provincial government doesn't have a full time reporter. Like these are things that have to happen. And for some reason, I don't think digital media players from the states who come in are doing that
0: are going to put a Guelph uh, right yeah. yeah, they're
1: not going to create a reporter in Guelph they're not going to put someone in the Saskatchewan legislature yeah. they might have something really funny happens there pull something out of it but like you know when we have these big players coming in we don't generally tend to see them add anything that we don't already have they're just doing it in a different way I would you're, push back you a little expen- bit might be an well in, and in, I'm, in, I'm not yeah. even
0: covered by what you're saying because you're talking yeah. about when these, when these American companies which they increasingly are are setting up a Canadian bureau they're not doing that meat and potatoes report I think they
1: are. In some cases, I just don't think they're going somewhere that other people aren't.
0: Yeah. I think they add something in certain cases, but I definitely agree with you that there's a certain kind of unsexy, very necessary reporting that they're not likely to do. And that's where the
1: government subsidy comes in, I think.
0: Well, that's the question, isn't it? I want to get into this in much greater detail as we kind of move into this next stage of what the hell happens next in, in the Canadian media. but. Everything you just said is spot on. Yeah. Okay. There's a crisis. And I'm
1: torn on subsidies, too. Like, I don't like how much we've subsidized the auto industry. I think, you know, Australia has stopped doing that. Now they don't have an auto industry. They still have an economy. Like, they're still working. Sure. So, like, a, a corporate welfare in general makes me nervous. I agree with some of Andrew Coyne's sentiments on this on a, on a pretty regular basis. So, I am sort of torn on the idea that, like, as someone who's very critical of corporate welfare as a reporter the idea of of my corporation then engaging in it. But I also Well, it should feel make like, any journalist
0: queasy about yeah. journalists getting subsidized by the government that they cover. That should, exactly. That, that's tricky, right? right. But then this idea that the, the subsidy comes in to fill in those holes, you ever consider that maybe the subsidies we've always had and already have might be why we don't have a lot of digital upstarts and why it's American digital upstarts that are moving into Canada? We don't have many of our own?
1: that goes into a lot of stuff about Canadian innovation culture. Yeah, uh, The American also has a much stronger philanthropic culture that has helped fund things like the Knight Foundation that has then led to a lot of innovation right. in the media sphere in the states that we don't have here because at we Pro don't Publica, have these. ProPublica,
0: Knight Foundation all the, yeah. and, and you don't all think that maybe the fact that there's this consideration that oh yeah it's all subsidized maybe deters private foundations and uh, academy and philanthropy. I think philanthropy. that's a cultural difference
1: so if you look at philanthropy rates in, in the states and Canada like we see a bigger role for government than Americans do. Yeah. So they tend to. We're saying the same thing.
0: Yeah. If you think the government's going to take care of it, nobody steps in.
1: Exactly. So how bad does it have to get before someone steps in? Because every it, when it comes to the media, like that's an integral part of our democracy. Every time that a local newspaper shutters, there are people in control of millions of dollars who have nobody watching what they're doing.
0: Oh yeah, we need this. But every time a newspaper shutters, there's an opportunity for an entrepreneur.
1: Right. So then people have to start being willing to pay for it again, or there has to be a philanthropic model. Like sure government can't act alone, but I think they can help set the table to help people get to a point where they can succeed but again like i'm really torn on this issue like none of this is like i have a solid opinion on any of this
0: i think you got lost It you should become eddie should have invited you (laughs) duly noted so let's talk about neil mcdonald for a second. The CBC ombudsman, they still call her an ombudsman, not an ombudsperson or ombudswoman, but Esther Ankin is the ombudsman at the CBC. And she found, uh, based on a complaint about a Neil MacDonald column, that he violated the CBC's editorial policy. The rule is, the rule is expressing opinion is prohibited. There are these weird dispensations, okay? So we have the blue book at the CBC, the Journalistic Standards and Practices book. You're not allowed to express an opinion if you're a what journalist.
1: What about all the
0: panels? Well, they're not. They're, they're not covered by that because okay. they are hired to be. See, this, this is the problem is that the viewer doesn't know anything. Like, you don't know whether that's a freelance. There's
1: lots of opinion on the TV
0: there's shows tons. at least. Right? Yeah, but like the person who is a reporter mm. is not – or the host. Hosts are also not supposed to express opinions. And that's muddied by the fact that they have panelists. It's muddied by the fact further that like there's tons of opinion pro- programming on CBC. And it's muddied by the fact that the rules don't apply to Michael Enright. It was always known Michael Enright has some sort of papal dispensation to have an essay at the beginning of his show. And nobody notices because Enright doesn't say controversial things anymore, except about the Catholic Church. But he, he opines. And Rex Murphy, for some reason, I guess because he's a freelancer, he's there only to do, which is bizarre, of course, that The National has one opinion guy who's a climate change denier. That's weird. But do people notice the distinction? And then for some reason, Neil McDonald has always been using his weird column to opine and that's been allowed. And then there's been different parts where CBC.ca, like they hired Heather Malik, like to know who's allowed and who isn't allowed to have a point of view. But they
1: hired Heather Malik?
0: Well, years ago they had. Oh, her. okay. Um, I know crazy, but that happened. Well, like,
1: and they have a lot more analysis coming out now with Aaron Weary, who was from McLean's and I love his stuff. Sure. Like, it's great. I think it's, it's an important asset for the country. I'm glad he's doing that work. I don't know. Like, and it also like depends on what your definition of opinion is.
0: Yeah. Well, Frank Collar, a uh, uh, previously uh, CBC guy, he's got a blog now where he kind of holds CBC to account for this stuff. And he, he publicized this finding by Esther Ankin that Neil McDonald has run afoul. And then another veteran journalist, Paul Adams used to work uh, a little Mail, at the places. He, he had an uh, interesting exchange with Collar where he said like, yeah, they broke their own rules. There's no question about that, but those rules suck. They're stupid rules. And, this sort of model of like the news from nowhere, people without opinions, just presenting things that happened is totally outdated. They just need to be transparent about what you're getting. Mm-hmm. Are you getting an article? Or are you getting an opinion? Yeah. And he brings up like what Neil MacDonald got dinged for was basically slagging off creationism as superstition. If you can't call creationism superstition, it could be because that's an opinion. I do.
1: <laughs> like, I definitely, when there was an MPP last year, tried to say that creationism should be taught in schools. Like, I'm pretty sure my coverage was pretty much like, and here's why that shouldn't happen.
0: Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, Collar says, like, in, in the context of Trump, it's a total failure for us just to kind of, like, yes. throw up our hands and say, like, well, everybody's got a point of view. We're just here to report what happened. Like, no. There are things that are true and there are things that are like false. climate
1: change. Like... Everything Trump says being some kind of bizarre half truth. Yes, it's our mentions are going to be really fun after this episode. <laughs> eh? We've touched it all.
0: I don't know that there's many uh, pro-Trump creationists amongst my listenership, but if, if you're hearing this and being like, "Damn you, Jesse! I, I liked you until you <laughs> just excluded me." You are welcome to listen to this show, pro-Trump creationist Canada land listener, and I want to I want to talk to you. I, I just feel like who does this serve anymore? This idea that we are. Just these weird opinionless news bots.
1: I think it serves a really 20th century idea of objectivity. It's not about pure objectivity. I don't think anybody's objective. Let's talk about the fact that language isn't objective. When we use the term Middle East, that's actually a really loaded term that's created by the history of the fact that English language is based in what we consider the center of the universe, Greenwich Mean Time. In England. Yeah. And that east of that is the Middle East. And then further east of that is like the Far East or, or whatever. Right. So like l- language is inherently biased and loaded. Yeah. So... No one who writes is ever completely free of the history of who they are, where they came from, how they learned to write, what words they choose to use. Like all of that contains their biases. I think the the importance of being a reporter is to strive for objectivity, is to be open to the other side, is to be open to ideas that you aren't comfortable with. I mean, I had some really fascinating conversations with people who are super pro gun rights. And some of them, you know, I sort of got where they were coming from. They were literalists when it came to the Bill of Rights. And they saw the Second Amendment as an important check on power in their political culture. And it's not one that I'm from and of. And I think that it's we tend in Canada to be like, oh, Americans and their guns. So I think you have to be willing to present ideas you're not comfortable with. And at least Analyze them.
0: Entertain them, and consider I think, them.
1: Yeah, and I think when we're getting too far into opinion journalism or too far into like me first journalism is when we stop being able to have those conversations. And I think that's something that we're seeing. There are a lot of reporters who are doing a really good job of covering Trump as fairly as they can without buying into his crap. I think there are a lot for some of the bigger publications like the Washington Post where they've been now banned from his campaign. I don't think that they're going in there to express an opinion. I think they're going in there trying to present the facts. Then there are people who I think are making the situation worse, making the polarization worse, where everything is based on their opinion and they're not open to seeing the other side or to considering why people are thinking this way.
0: Yeah. I'll quibble with you on a semantic point um, that we should strive for objectivity. I find that that's kind of dishonest, the idea that like I have a subjective point of view, but I'm going to strive to kind of immolate it and pretend that I don't have a point of view because I'm here to report. I don't know that that's possible. I think that the attempt to do that is sort of inherently dishonest. I think we should strive for impartiality. Like you're not here to affect an agenda. Your desire to tell people what is going on should trump your own agenda to make something happen or to make one idea prevail or one side prevail. You know, I think that's kind of an important distinction.
1: And I think that's something that is getting lost. Like I think that there is a lot of agenda driven news reporting these days. I think it's worse in the States. And I think what some of the people who are worried about, say, opinion creeping into the CBC are worried about is that idea of it becoming agenda driven as opposed to like, here's one person's really interesting opinion on this issue. And here's someone else's really interesting ap- driven. Right. Which is just a more robust great.
0: product of yeah. analysis. And you're, get, you're getting all the points. Of um, view. But I think
1: there's some wariness about the idea of agenda driven journalism. And I think that there's a lot of American News outlets on both the far left and the far right who sort of just battle it out on these ideological lines over every issue. And it sort of misses so many of the voters in the middle who aren't firmly for or against anything,
0: right? Yeah. You know what? I feel like the CBC certainly needs to be at the very least impartial. And that's actually, it's very difficult because when you're talking about media bias, the simple fact is any survey of the private political affiliations and opinions of journalists, it's consistent with the private political affiliations of anybody who has university education, which is it does lean left, right? David
1: Bacon did a really short post once that was really smart. He was talking about why all journalists are little L liberals, talking about sort of the, the enlightenment definition of someone who believes in free expression freedom of religion freedom of the way to live your life of the press and those sort of core tenets of the individual's right to be his or herself for lack of a more eloquent way to put it like go read some John Locke like he says it a lot smarter than I do yeah Uh,
0: yeah and it's not specific to journalism it's just that's what the majority of people who... Yeah. I'm sorry, that sounds like a value judgment, but it's actually just a statement of fact. The majority of people who have university uh, education will affiliate and, small and, and liberal,
1: and then Or they'll call themselves a libertarian, which is really just yeah. an evolution of the Enlightenment idea of liberalism as well in a different way.
0: Because we all pay into the CBC because they're the public broadcaster. They cannot be partisan press. But I don't know that I agree with what you were saying before about the states where it's just so hyper-partisan to have... All of these little pockets, be it big business, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC with their affiliations or teeny little special interest groups, even websites that have like direct taint. They are funded by Soros or they're funded mm-hmm. by the Kochs. now we're seeing here in Canada, we have like uh, Press Progress or Desmog. Like they look like news sites, but they actually have like political lobby groups behind them. They are just as able to report a fact. As anybody else. And the fact that they are fueled by ideology and trying to convince people of something does not mean that what they, they write is inherently a lie. In fact, they have an agenda to find things that somebody else might not find. If they're the only media in town or if they're the official media the way that CBC is official media, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. But I I am for, I mean, and let's not forget our roots. Like it's a very modern concept that newspapers are objective to begin with. The, The birth of newspapers were viciously partisan. They were all in the pocket of somebody else. But somehow through the battle of all these different news sources, I think it actually might be a better engine for true things to get out when you've got all these different people trying to kind of make their case and fight with each other. And then there's just like aggressive scrutiny of each other's stories. It makes the media really unpleasant in the States And I think that it doesn't really speak well for analysis. and You need Mm -hmm. another layer of sort of sober-minded, be it satire or just smart people making some sense out of this stuff. But I don't know that we're going to hell in a handbasket if we have hyper-partisan news sources. I don't mind that Ezra Levant is doing what he's doing. I think that it's entirely possible that every year there'll be three or four things that we wouldn't have known about if not for Ezra Levant.
1: And honestly, even though I spent a week taking a lot of shit because Ezra decided to come after me on Twitter, uh, I agree. With you, I think that the rebel and that whole sort of wing of things do bring out stories. I mean, Brian Lilly had this thing about the Ontario government and a bunch of contracts recently that no one else did, and that became a news story in the mainstream press after it was sort of vetted and sussed scrutinized out, right? and you and you find scrutinized and a Colonel of yeah, I definitely think they should be out there. I might not agree. I might think they're abhorrent, you know, ninety percent of the time, but that other ten percent of the time, sure, great. And I think it's, I feel the same way sometimes about, say, rabble. I mean, like some of their some of the way that they're talking about electoral reform is just so ideological and so driven by the fact that they want whatever the system is to benefit the NDP as much as possible. It's not about what's best for Canadians. And let's just be real about who actually funds rabble as well. Like we do have both sides in yeah. Canada. We do. One's of, just a lot meaner.
0: They're meaner. But you know what? I, I kind of wish now that we're discussing this. Like, for, like yes. OK. Mainstream media is like small L liberal, I would say, even in a company like Postmedia, which is affiliated mm-hmm. uh, to the right person-to-person, I think it's small-illiberal, but who is actually, like, firebrand in the media for specific political bent? You've got on the right, Ezra Levant. On the left, yes, you've got Ricochet and Rabble, yet they are so much more, like, kind of think-PC-driven or essay-driven. You kind of need someone who is as viciously advocating their point of view. It's tilted to the right, I'm just realizing now. It's actually tilted to the right. It's not like Rabble is nowhere near as nasty or even as like scoop driven as the rebel is. The rebel is trying to humiliate, embarrass, and uncover the left any way it can. They are looking for stories. They're looking for things. They're looking for gotchas. Who's doing that to the right? Well, people on the right would say it's like the CBC,
1: it's the Toronto Star. Like the people who adhere to the the Rebel think that the mainstream media, myself included, are already doing that. That we give Trudeau a lot of passes we didn't give Harper. And I'd say some days that might be true. Yeah, We're more willing to forgive him misstepping or not going far enough on, say, LGBT issues than we were with Harper. Because we sort of are like, oh, well, his heart's in the right place. He'll get there when it comes to Trudeau. And with Harper, it's like, well, we never trusted him with this stuff to begin with.
0: Ashley, thank you. Thanks for having me. That is your Canada Land Shortcuts, and you can email me about it anytime at jessie at I read everything you send, and I respond when I can. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Ashley, where can people find you?
1: Uh, so people can find me at Ashley Chinati. My last name's a little weird to spell, so it's C-S-A-N-A-D-Y.
0: Our website is canadalandshow.com, and our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. The next episode of Canada Land will be up on Monday. Commons is off for a week. I make this show with Kevin Sexton, the radio syndication version of Canada Land, which we offer for free to community and campus stations across this country. That is handled by Russell Gregg. If you like what we do, please support us.